You're listening to Discovering Multifamily, where we discuss all educational topics in commercial real estate with an emphasis on multifamily apartment investing via syndication. And now your hosts, former NFL fullback Brian Leonard and Anthony Scandariato. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Discovering Multifamily Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Scandariato with Red Knight Properties. And today we have a great guest here with us, uh, more uh, of an analytical show, very analytical, and we can appreciate that. We have uh, Stefan Svedko, and uh, he actually has his master's in financial engineering from Columbia University, um, and he's also a multifamily real estate investor himself. And he has spent some time putting together um, presentations that um, I've been uh, a part of and that have been really helpful and analytical, and I figured to have him on our show here. Um, and what we're going to be talking about is basically is the current real estate market for multifamily specifically overvalued, undervalued? What's the outlook post the COVID-19 crisis um, as we're starting to come out of this uh, crisis? We're recording this in September. Um, so really wanted to hear his thoughts. We're going to talk about specific regions in the country. We're going to talk about um, different types of uh, multifamily product types. Um, what percentage of value drops are there going to be, if any? And if there are going to be drops, how quickly are they going to recover? Um, what's going to drop? What's going to you know, stay safe? What's going to go up? Um, so it's going to be a very interesting conversation. So Stefan, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks, Anthony, for um, having me here. Yeah, I'm very excited to speak to your listeners on this topic. Yeah, that's a personal study I did. So it's, uh, it has very interesting findings uh, I wanted to share. So yeah, so if um, actually I just wanted to start with, uh, as uh, some of you know, in um, June of this year, um, National Bureau of Economic Research announced a re uh, recession or, you know, like two um, quarters, consecutive quarters of uh, an economic slowdown. So I wanted to do a, a study of, okay, assuming um, from a business uh, cycle standpoint, assuming we reached a peak or a market cycle standpoint, we reached the peak, then what um, would be, um, you know, what are some um, metrics that would be the most predictive, you know, that would be best at saying, okay, where, what kind of drops may happen in different regions, etc. So, um, yeah, so that is like some of the, the core uh, content. Uh, yeah, so uh, specifically for multifamily, so since uh, this podcast is Discovering Multifamily, I wanted to mention, like I was looking at some correlations of um, private commercial uh, multifamily versus uh, home prices, uh, which, which look okay. It's 97% correlation versus between COSTAR index and FHFA. Um, so that is something I wanted to start with. And then uh, under the current pandemic, there was a literature review done by Zero. So just like a broad comment, um, Zero did a literature review where they say, um, okay, uh, different recessions, have most recessions have had a certain um, duration of six to 18 months, but in the cases of epidemics, such as the Spanish flu, SARS, et cetera, this has been much briefer. So, and then has been, you know, jump back in activity. I'm sure a lot of you have heard that. Uh, so, um, yeah, so I want to like give like some more kind of numerical, you know, like uh, input into wh whether, you know, how this outlook is actually going to work now versus in 2007. 
Okay, so, um, so when I did my study, actually, I want to say initially, what I was first mostly interested in, I wanted to look at like risk return, I wanted to look at volatility in different states, different counties, things like that. I thought that's going to be more predictive. So for volatility in real estate, I wanted to look at first, what is the main volatility factor? Uh, it's four quarters, right? So I went to look at four quarters. And it's uh, pretty interesting because, you know, like some very big uh, foreclosure states in the last uh, few years are um, New Jersey, Delaware, Maryland, uh, Florida, etc. Those are the, some of the peak states, actually. So I was curious, okay, under, after COVID, are these states going to be more affected? And there were some studies and there was, a, uh, for instance, there was a study by um, Atom Data Solutions is one vendor. Uh, that publishes a lot of foreclosure metrics. So they did a study and they showed, okay, precisely those, some of those more sensitive regions like Northeast, Florida, Illinois, and parts of Southwest um, being mostly at risk of um, sort of, um, you know, some kind of reduction following uh, coronavirus, right? Uh, so I was in, wanted to see like, is this, uh, so uh, accurate, um, you know, is this going to be indeed the case because some of those markets were also most affected in 2007 as well. So, yeah, and then another thing is in, uh, when you look at the public real estate, like the stock market, like real estate investment trust, so that um, for, uh, for ETFs, there is an ETF, for instance, REZ, right? Contains um, also um, both uh, contains actually just residential properties, right? And that one, I think as of latest was like 23% down, etc. So, I mean, I wanted to look at, okay, we have ETFs being so, um, you know, so bearish on, on uh, where real estate values are going to be. Is it really the case to what extent, etc.? Okay, uh, so just this one, uh, yeah, so one uh, comment on that. So in 2007, the biggest drops that happened were in California, Nevada, Arizona, and Florida, let's say. And then there were some like Michigan and some other, some, some regions in Northeast, etc. So why were they the biggest drops? So what I found was, so I computed a metric on the basis of um, price income ratios, ratio histories in, in every state, in every county. So just pull like the price histories from um, Federal Finance Housing Agency, FHFA, and then income histories from Bureau of Economic Analysis. And uh, so how has, uh, have, um, what has been the history of like price income relationship in the different regions, and then deviation of that. So then I uh, use this evaluation metric, basically percentage deviation of the historical um, price income ratio in every region. And the value of this metric at the peak of 2007, where that peak occurred at different time points in different regions, not precisely the same. Let's say it's mainly Q2 2007, but you know, it varies, right? And then this metric, and then what drops subsequently happened, such as from the peak of 2007, there was uh, on average like four years and a quarter to actually reach the bottom like in, in the US, you know, in different states. So, you know, like from the peak to four years and a quarter after, these are the drops and how predictive uh, the metric has been, right? And the correlation that I found was actually like pretty stunning. 
And I was like very happy to see because it was like 83% correlation. So basically, so if one does such a simple in a way study, right, that it purely involves income and price history, and uh, um, you know, evaluation derive derive evaluation metric on that. It was actually 83% predictive on the state level, on the state level of uh, subsequent price drops that happened. Right. So I wanted to do the same thing for today. I mean, the, just the same metric at what values it is today and what uh, kind of um, outlook uh, I see ahead. So, uh, yeah, so for example, like let's say in 2007, if uh, let's say we take, um, what is it? Let's say Nevada was, uh, what is the percentage? Just one moment. So Nevada was, I believe, like 56% overvalued and the drop was like 49%, something of this, of this nature, right? And so it's not the exact same, the exact same figure, you know, but it's a, it's a pretty good, it's a pretty good estimate. And, and then more important, like what I was actually motivated, um, you know, in terms of what, what was my primary motivation for this study was actually, okay, can one have continuity, right? Because as, a, as an investor, like in the current cycle, without any, too much worries, you know, too many concerns, you don't know what's gonna happen, et cetera. And um, right, so I have been like myself as an in, individual investor, I have been investing in the Northeast primarily, in New Jersey and upstate New York, in a small multifamily myself, right? And um, so, so I wanted to see, okay, how is that going to be affected? And, uh, and what are, you know, some better regions uh, than that potentially, right? And so, so this was the study. And what was very interesting, actually in 2007 is that if we take the overvalued state. So if we take Nevada, Arizona, Florida, California, right? And other overvalued states. So they were super, um, you know, like the drops were substantial, right? So the median level of overvalued uh, percentage, let's say was 26%, right? And the, but, and, and the median price drops was, I think like 24, okay? But what was very interesting is that undervalued state, states, their median drop was 4%. Which is, which is, I thought is like amazing. So it's um, really, really interesting. So there wasn't a single undervalued state that actually had any material drop in the biggest crisis in US history, you know, US real estate recorded price history. So like, um, and it's, you know, it's a bit difficult like to, uh, to describe, let's say in an audio in this context, but um, the majority of markets then were overvalued. And let's say they were between overvalued means like let's say more than 10% um, valuation, more than positive 10% valuation metric. And let's say between 10 and up to California was like at 68%, right? And like on median, let's say it was 26 and the drop, sorry, was 22 actually, 22 was the median drop, right? So pretty much everything that was undervalued actually had quite a decent drop that happened. And, um, in fairly valued markets, there was some drop as well. So fairly valued markets, even though they're, let's say like zero to 10% valuation, right? Positive, but they dropped still like 11%. There was a correction that happened there. But in undervalued markets, so some undervalued markets then where North Dakota was an example, for instance, North Dakota has a zero, had a 0% drop, 
post-2007. So, so definitely, you know, valuation was extremely predictive. So it didn't matter where, where population is moving, etc. It didn't matter that, let's say, in Nevada uh, population, you know, as you know, many of us knows has been booming in the last two decades, you know, even though price performance is not that strong. Right, um, but population has grown, I believe, over fifty percent since two thousand population count. So it was booming between two thousand two thousand ten as well. But that didn't prevent Nevada to drop, you know, fifty six percent actually after two thousand seven. Why? Because okay, and I, maybe slightly the numbers um, um, maybe slightly different uh, in this data. But okay, it's like forty nine percent valuation, forty nine percent valuation, fifty six percent drop. Okay. So, so that was most predictive. Now, on the other side, North Dakota, the reason why it had a zero drop, well, its valuation was minus 13%. So this, I would say, the state level is uh, something very undervalued, like very undervalued that, you know, there are similar situations now in Arkansas and other places that are as much undervalued. And I would argue they, whichever dynamic of uh, domestic migration may happen and whichever population shifts, etc. I would argue they would not actually drop materially in spite of that. And then, um, so it's quite interesting, you know, so the, the, the very, the drops were between zero and 7% for all undervalued markets and like uh, on average 4%. So quite interesting. So then what is a 4% drop actually in uh, price terms? Well, I would, 4% uh, was the, the average income drop as well in US after 2007. So I would argue that undervalued markets, actually they didn't even drop on valuation. They actually, uh, you know, just incomes dropped, that's it. So their valuation roughly, high level speaking, stayed the same. And so it was uh, extremely, extremely mild there. Now the similar situation now, so, so as I found this, I was already super happy. I realized, okay, I don't need to be looking so much at foreclosures or, you know, um, trying to predict even by population, et cetera, et cetera. Because, you know, as most of you know, like in, uh, in multifamily, like the primary, you know, in, in regular intermediate site points in the cycle, in the market cycle, right? You know, when we look at population growth, job growth, things like that to predict what's going to happen. But now this study is assuming a peak in cycle happens then that those factors don't matter so much, I would say. And then it's evaluation, evaluation is much more predictive. And, and of course, we don't know if a peak of cycle is going to happen just now, right? Uh, it's always timing is uncertain. You know, it may take, you know, a couple of years, etc. But assuming a peak of cycle happens, then, you know, drops would most likely be according to evaluations. So, yeah, so the current market, how does it look actually compared to, excuse me, compared to 2007? Well, it's uh, much milder as uh, some of us would expect. It is much milder and uh, specifically, uh, just one moment. So specifically the, the, the overvalued like or most overvalued places are actually Idaho, Colorado, Texas um, are like some of the top ones. So just one moment, I'm just trying to pull quickly 
a slide on that uh, that, I mean, that I have myself. Like, uh, so just one moment. No problem. Right. Um, yeah, but. Okay, so, all right, so, so the currently overvalued markets are either markets that rallied really high and okay, they entered a little bit of COVID bubble territory or markets that actually didn't rally high at all, but they just have certain weaknesses, like they are some of the four quarter states, so to say. So the overvalued markets are uh, just, there are only eight states out of all states that I see at like above 10% right now. Everything else is fairly valued or undervalued, actually. So these are Idaho at 22% is like the definitely most overvalued place. And Boise, Boise, Idaho is, I believe, like 33%. So that's like, a, it's a trendy city to invest in. But that is a place that is, you know, definitely very overvalued. And uh, so DC, DC and Nevada are at 17% overvalued, Colorado 13%, Arizona 12%, Florida and Texas 11%, and the state of Washington at 10% uh, overvalued. Right, so for that, I run a regression based on the 2007 uh, valuations and, um, and drops that happened in 2007 and where the current valuations are. And just you know the mm, regression coefficients, and I compute some drops. So let's say for Idaho, it comes at 19% uh, projected drop. Again, does it mean it's going to happen necessarily? Now, no. It's uh, assuming a peak happens. Uh, you know, for specifically for Idaho, that would that 19% would be the drop over you know a few years probably. You know, it's not necessarily going to be like something exceptionally dramatic, but you know, over the course of two to four years maybe, uh, that would, would be the drop to happen until the very bottom uh, in the market cycle, right? Uh, but these are markets that did like exceptionally well. Like, so as uh, some of um, you know, the states that did the very best in, uh, in uh, how to say long-term price performance, like such as that they exceeded their previous peak level, we peaked it in 2007, it's if it was a bubble, only in certain places it was a bubble, right? And then they exceeded that level by a certain percentage. So those were um, the, the most, uh, the best performing ones were Colorado, Texas, uh, Idaho, and uh, North, North Dakota, I believe, um, and uh, DC, actually. So yeah, so Colorado, for example, is 68% above its previous peak. And then um, Texas is like 56%, you know, as we know, like Texas has been like an incredible, you know, incredible story with population growing nearly 40% over the last two decades. So, so those are, you know, markets that did exceptionally well and they're, they're great, but they have entered slightly overvalued territory. So, you know, if let's say Texas is 56% above its current previous peak, you know, 11% of that can say is somewhat, you know, somewhat in overvalued territory. So that's kind of makes sense. It's intuitive, right? It, it's one can expect. But then more interestingly, places that didn't perform well peak to current. So those are actually Nevada, Arizona, and Florida, and they're still overvalued. So 
we know like some of, some of you know that okay it's places like Tampa, Florida, Jacksonville, etc. They have been pretty hot and uh, people like to invest there, etc. And they have had very high performance since their bottom, uh, like in 2011 or whatever. So they have rallied like 70 or 90% specifically for those two cities, roughly. I think Tampa is at 90 and Jacksonville at 70% increase since the bottom. Uh, but that said, you know, Florida is a state that, you know, prices went in, in half, you know, like they dropped in half uh, in 2007. And so the, the Florida is a state, it's peak to current performance, it's, it's basically flat. It's at like, well, 3%, 3%. So, so yeah, so, price, so it's kind of artificial, you know, in a way that um, this rally from a long-term uh, standpoint, let's say. So Florida has had the weaknesses in, to an extent because I mean it's uh, it's it tends to have high foreclosures you know it's uh, it's a little bit floppy kind of maybe the state you know it has a high foreign ownership etc you know like um, retired population possibly etc cetera, etc cetera. like that's not um, I haven't deeply studied you know those those components there right um, and then Nevada and Arizona also pretty prominent states on the you know, like probably like top 10, top 10 foreclosure states um, in America. And they, they also have weaknesses in spite of like very well growing population over there. So they're also like basically flat peak to current at 0% for Nevada and Arizona, like 6%. But they're in spite of that overvalued. So that's um, like Nevada is like 17% overvalued, even though it's at 2007 prices. Why? Well, incomes were swaggish. There is genuine weakness, apparently, in, in the economy there to an extent. And that's, um, that's what happens. So it's pretty interesting that overvalued markets can be either like some of the strongest markets or some weak markets where incomes didn't perform. So, so that. And the, the, majority of, the majority of states actually currently are undervalued. So... Um, so it's a pretty long list. I believe like close to 30 states are undervalued. And I think what is mostly interesting now from, from an investor standpoint for market selection is, okay, let's, um, where should one invest? Like given this now, if a market is undervalued, I think one should first, I think one should definitely invest in the undervalued ones now because it's still relatively forward, possibly in the, in the market cycle. And there has been even obviously the macro event such as the current uh, virus situation. So I definitely believe one should invest in undervalued markets. But now, does it mean if a market is undervalued, it's actually good to invest in from a price perform performance standpoint? Not necessarily, because many of the, the undervalued markets in the Northeast, for instance, or others, they just, uh, they're undervalued because of the price side of things. So say they didn't perform so well. So now if we take, uh, I mean, the very prominent example of that is of course, uh, Connecticut, right? So Connecticut is heavily undervalued right now, actually. 19% undervalued. And so Connecticut, I would argue, is not going to drop. Whichever demographic shifts can happen, et cetera, you know, prices are, I think are going to stay the same there. But, but again, uh, price performance in Connecticut has been the very worst. It, you know, nationwide. So since 2007, so Connecticut has the worst price performance since 2007. It's like 11% below its previous peak. So then I did like another study of autocorrelation, 
sort of to show momentum. So in different states to show momentum like or trend and to what extent it matters. And it was actually pretty interesting because um, the majority of states, they showed pretty strong momentum actually. So um, specifically, the, the strongest it was in the West, Western states like California, um, Oregon, Washington, also in Florida and parts of Northeast and Midwest was super strong. So, so we are speaking, let's say in California, if one um, invested there, if now it's not peak of cycle, let's say, the autocorrelation, so autocorrelation means um, correlation of the price prices, let's say with a one year lag, let's say, let's say one year lag. So to what extent, let's say prices last year, price histories are predictive of like historical price performances, predictive of future price performance, sort of a test for market efficiency, right? And so in California, it's 76% autocorrelation. So it's like super big uh, um, momentum, you know, and similarly in other places, so some of the very well strong performing places like Colorado, the best performing state, it's 71% autocorrelation. So if one invested in Colorado now and Colorado turned out to not be, let's say it's not the peak yet, you know, let's say it goes for another year or two or whatever, then one can have a pretty good price performance there simply from momentum, right? So from this, but then there were a few places like um, uh, South Dakota, North Dakota and Montana, for instance, that they have like they are like close to zero autocorrelation. So there isn't this phenomenon there. So that's interesting. So if one, if North Dakota is a very strong performer right now, for instance, but if one invested there, one may not expect necessarily, you know, the same performance or comparable performance next year as, as this year, let's say, and, you know, it's, it's different, slightly different price dynamic. And then the only state that actually has negative momentum is Alaska. <laughs> so it's pretty interesting. Um, so there, if it did well, then it should do <laughs> the opposite, you know, in the following year, safe or slightly, you know, slightly negative. So, so that's pretty interesting. So from this standpoint, um, I was uh, considering essentially like um, as, uh, as, a, as a good, I believe, I believe a good strategy in the current market to look at, okay, undervalued markets that have had strong performance on the, in terms of their long-term trend that have done, you know, peak to current, have done like really well, let's say over 20% above their previous level. And yet they're still in undervalued territory. And so that's like just a solid market. It's strong, you know, prices are going strong and incomes are going strong as well. And uh, so, um, and there, there are such, so the best performing undervalued markets were actually Kansas, uh, Indiana, Oklahoma, Iowa, Kentucky, South Carolina and North Carolina and okay, Georgia as well, Louisiana, Wyoming. So all of these states, they actually had performance above 20% uh, above the previous peak, but they are undervalued currently. So for instance, Indiana, 27% price performance above 2007. And yet it's uh, at minus 6%, minus 6% valuation. So I would say this is uh, pretty attractive, you know, from this standpoint. And uh, then another comment is, so if let's say something is overvalued, is it, it's not necessarily going to correct. 
Like there are different scenarios that can happen. Um, 2007, like I did a deeper study at counties level and like 92, 93% of counties basically had a correction, a price correction. But there are other scenarios. It could be that and the price doesn't correct, but just incomes, uh, or so, sorry, but prices grows less in the subsequent years over, a, let's say a longer period, maybe like five or 10 years. So there is a reduced price growth. So it kind of gets reflected, you know, in the price but gradually over time. So that's, an, that's one scenario. And another scenario is, well, prices continue to grow still healthily, even though the market is overwhelmed. That's, I think, a very interesting scenario. But incomes exhibit a sort of a super growth. So incomes may grow, you know, like super much. And uh, so even though the market is overvalued, it still, still continues to do well. And actually the overvaluation resolves at the end. Results just because income growth is like so insanely high and it exceeds, you know, the, the, the otherwise decent or still strong price growth and, and that can happen. So that happened uh, last cycle in Brooklyn, actually. So Brooklyn was super overvalued, but uh, while in the rest of the country incomes dropped past the crisis in Brooklyn, they continued to grow. And uh, Brooklyn is not particularly overvalued now. It's, uh, you know, pretty much fairly valued. And the correction that it exhibited after uh, 2007 was very, very moderate, like only 14%, which for its level of overvaluation of, you know, about 50% was, was, was not, so, not so much. So that's pretty interesting. So that is possible, but I would say that, I would say that happens rarer, rarer. That's not such a frequent case to, you know, there are few markets that can, exhibit such strong income growth, right? And um, then what are some cities? Like what are some cities currently which are um, maybe good to invest in or which are also most over and undervalued? So the most overvalued cities, so I mentioned already Boise, Idaho is at the peak at 33% uh, overvalued and some other overvalued cities are actually Las Vegas, um, Tampa, Austin, Washington, Fort Worth, uh, Phoenix and Nashville. Tennessee. So those are, you know, they have like above 10%, like, okay, they're like 10 to 18% overvalued. It's not, it's not so dramatic, but if it's at peak, it's, it's pretty significant, you know, we have like a 15% drop, uh, which is, you know, roughly what the data shows. So, so that's, um, that's something to consider. And then undervalued markets, the most undervalued are actually, uh, Chicago, Cincinnati, Baltimore, uh, Greensboro, Memphis, uh, Pittsburgh, Louisville, and, and by the way, San Francisco is undervalued as well. So it's uh, pretty interesting, you know, like, and as you know, like in San Francisco, the narrative would always be, okay, real estate is super expensive and affordability is, you know, it's, pre it's pretty low, but uh, affordability is, uh, has, has been low. <laughs> for a long time in San Francisco. And the question is now, is it, what is relative, relative between now and historically? And that determines if it's overvalued. So actually San Francisco is undervalued, even though prices are so high, or let's say price to income ratios are higher than in other places, but they have always been higher than in other places. And currently San Francisco is 5% undervalued. So it's actually looking okay and has had very strong price performance, but it's, uh, it's looking good. Um, so that's uh, pretty interesting. So what are some of the best uh, performing undervalued cities? So it's very interesting that, so uh, just one moment. Uh, so it's very interesting that 
So out of 800 cities in America with population more than 50,000 people, the city that had the, high, the best price performance, 79% above its previous peak, was Denver, Colorado. So one would think very, very likely, you know, it would be overvalued already now. And in fact, even the state is overvalued. Colorado, other cities in that, in that state, they're actually overvalued. But Denver, Colorado is not overvalued actually. So it ran at 79% of its previous peak and it's now at zero. Incomes were outstanding there. They grew really, really well. And it's at 0% and it's slightly negative, like minus 0.3%, you know. It's basically like looking quite okay. And then we have San Francisco, actually 48% was the price performance there. 5% uh, undervalued uh, Pittsburgh. So in Northeast, uh, there were some strong performance in price terms. Actually, Pittsburgh did really well, 37%. And it's undervalued 8%. And uh, etc. So, you know, some other cities as well, Omaha, Columbus, Indianapolis, Atlanta, Louisville, and Philadelphia, they're still undervalued and they have had very strong price performance. So those are some cities. Now, how do the valuations look in the Northeast? So in the Northeast, so I did like a study by counties, let's say. So if we take New Jersey, for instance. So it's interesting because like I am an investor in New Jersey myself or you know, have been in the past three years, let's say. And um, so New Jersey, I was quite curious, Previously, before I did this study, I was just like puzzled a bit. Why did New Jersey prices dropped more in the previous crisis than let's say New York state prices or Pennsylvania prices? Because what happened then was like New Jersey prices dropped uh, 20, depending on data sources, like 22 to 28%. But New York state prices dropped only like 14, 15%. And Pennsylvania prices were actually down 9% only. And you know, Pennsylvania is not viewed as an area that, uh, you know, necessarily they're, they're really nice areas, but not all of them are so nice, etc. And even Philadelphia, let's say Philadelphia drop was not particularly significant. And that was a, a function of their valuations at the time. So, um, so New Jersey, even though it's a state that kind of has some, uh, you know, some foreclosure, uh, uh, some higher foreclosure rate, etc. It's uh, actually currently it's very undervalued. It's very undervalued. And uh, so uh, in that sense, I don't think there is going to be any particularly big drop there. The only county that is fairly valued or like 2% overvalued is Hudson County only and everything else is negative. So by the way, uh, so let's say, uh, I, I mean like many counties are like 20% undervalued actually, like around like uh, Warren County, Sussex County, uh, Morris County are like 20% undervalued at present. And uh, yeah, and I you know Ocean County is like 4%, 4% of So overall, the state is pretty undervalued. And I mean, whichever demographic shifts may happen, I don't think it will be particularly shaken as based on that. And then uh, Connecticut is even stronger, even more. Excellent. I'm sorry, yeah? No, I'm yes, just, I'm just saying, just saying excellent, excellent. Um, information you know keep going uh you talk about connecticut and i did have i have a bunch of questions we're probably not going to get to it on this show but the one general right. question just just so my audience can put all your research and all your knowledge into context you're talking about stabilized 
multifamily buildings at market rents in terms of, you know, valuation decreases. And um, obviously, you know, once the peak hits and then, you know, obviously there's the downfall and then there's the recovery. You're talking mm -hmm. about more stabilized existing cash flow producing product, correct? Well, to clarify, I mean, okay, so yeah, to clarify, so this is not based on like, I do have a script, let's say that I pull like inventory data in different markets and things like that. But this is not based on so much like a specific inventory because, you know, it's to have, one needs to have like a pretty good history, you know, to be able to do um, like a valuation study, I would say so like a few decades, maybe at least like 30 years, I'd say something like that at the minimum. I would say um, so. So this is based on um, FHFA price. So this is based on you know residential prices. Mm -hmm. But then um, you know if we look at the correlations, you know, with the private multifamily, okay, it's going to be like a slightly different dynamic, um, or like cor cor correlations with the stock market is going to be a slightly different dynamic for sure. But it's not uh, super different. Like even if you take like public, let's say public real estate versus private real estate, okay, public real estate reacts much more. There is a big downturn that happens. And uh, private real estate is smoother, doesn't drop so much. Um, and it's kind of lagging behind, it drops later, later and less, later and less it drops, right? But still um, the correlation is very, very high, um, you know, over the long run still as to, uh, the overall, like, uh, how to say, the overall relative performance of borrowers within within the two. So, so that is um, so that is something. So, so this is like uh, house prices from like governmental agencies. But I would say it's the best proxy that I can have for even the multifamily, the large multifamily sector, just because if one put like data from Costa or something, it's not going to be easy, I would say, to complete like such a detailed analysis like everywhere. So my approach was more, let's do like a study from governmental, uh, you know, public data, but subsequently actually, but actually, you know, okay, look at correlations versus, you know, mm, larger multifamily or the public, public real estate markets, et cetera. And, and after all, you know, it should not be like that different, I mean, like in commercial multifamily in 2007, like the, the states that dropped the most, they were still the same, you know, it was just quite not, uh, not particularly different. It's not gonna be the exact same percentages, but, but again, like if you have, um, you know, if you have like large multifamily in New Jersey, right, Anthony, let's say for example, it's going to be, of course, uh, uh, you know, it's going to, you know, this relatively similar from uh, to some smaller multifamily units, I would say, from the perspective of of uh, price performance, or you know, it's still the incomes. It's reflective of incomes of population within a given region, um, etc. It's still conceptually the same thing. It has a different valuation method, right? It's appraised differently, etc., etc. But it's an underlying. It's still multifamily housing that is based on what incomes people have there, etc. So I think it's still like uh, the same, the same valuation, valuation metric, uh, you know, how, um, you know, it's still gonna be price income ratios. And it's quite interesting because, okay, I wanted to say one thing like on that, people in the commercial space, they tend to think of valuations as um, let's say compressed, compressed cap rates. So speaking to a friend of mine, you know, who does acquisitions for like, uh, 
like a bigger real estate private equity fund. And so he's telling me, like I told him, like I did the study and he's telling me, he was telling me, okay, so how can one even do this, right? Based on given, he said the approach usually is okay. People tend to think it's uh, overvalued if cap rates are compressed, but how can one judge if cap rates are actually compressed in normalized terms, given interest rates are so low. And so uh, my finding was actually, I did a, some uh, uh, study on that as well. So my finding was price income ratios, they're I think the best measure, they're better than cap rate or let's say reverse inverse cap rate, like price to rent ratio for larger multifamily as well, I believe, because what happens is, um, Camp rates and interest rates, they are positively correlated. So they have shown like I had a, so 10 year treasury rate versus cap rates over some period have shown like 65% positive correlation. Um, but price to income ratios have actually been stable. So we have, you know, I had a chart like in some of my, cause I have like a data analytics, LOC actually myself and like I do like some of these studies there. So I had a chart that shows, okay, 10 year rate that has been on a downward trend for 40 years, right? For 40 years, since 1980 until current, it's getting less and less and less. Now the price, uh, the valuations, they're not price income, but deviation from price income that I compute here. The valuation metrics have been actually pretty level. So for example, for United States, for the whole country, the current valuation is 5.75. So let's say the prices are 5.75 times incomes, let's say. And this level has been very, very, very stable. Actually, it has not trended at all with, uh, with the interest rates. It's very, very interesting. In fact, and then I computed like the correlation. In fact, the correlation has been slightly positive between the two and not negative as it is, for example, in, um, in finance, like, valuations are negatively correlated to interest rates. Let's say like price earnings ratios and interest rates, they have a negative correlation and, and et cetera. And so one may want to adjust those. So it's kind of like what uh, this friend of mine was saying, you know, in commercial real estate, okay, maybe you should use cap rates, but then if you use cap rates, it's some kind of valuation measure in commercial multifamily real estate, right? Then that measure, you need to maybe adjust it for the current low level of interest rates. So one can do this just by maybe a regression against the 10 year rate and take the coefficients and just adjust and get a slightly different number maybe. Then what is the, the valuation there? And that I would say would be appropriate for cap rates. And for price income ratios, not at all because they just um, haven't trended with interest rates at all. And that's why I think it's the best, it's just the most predictive uh, measure, uh, you know, for commercial, for commercial multifamily as well. Yeah, so like, so just to uh, finish up on Northeast, so in New Jersey, yes, it's, uh, it had a big price drop in 2007, but now it's not going to be the case. So I definitely believe this because price performance, performance well in New Jersey and some of the rest of Northeast has not been too strong, uh, relatively speaking, you know, compared to places like Texas, etc. And so, so New Jersey is actually currently, but that said, incomes grow very strongly in Northeast because you know, like people always complain, like there's I mean, there's big population outfalls, etc. Which is true. Like New York State has the biggest negative, I mean, one of the biggest negative domestic migration rates uh, the last ten years, 
and it's going to get worse, you know, obviously with COVID, etc. And especially for New York City, and you know, there are like a lot of articles on that. But um, but in spite of this, um, incomes have grown very healthily though in the Northeast. So incomes have grown very healthily, and so New Jersey, with its price performance, with whichever it has been, then the incomes have grown like even more than that. And New Jersey is now undervalued. And it was very overvalued. It was actually overvalued like over 20% in 2007. And now it's like on average, what is New Jersey on average? It's 8% undervalued currently. And so I don't think New Jersey is going to really drop. Now, since let's say I own, uh, I have properties in Hudson County. Now I, that I consider some of them looking to, um, you know, to sell some partially, you know, some of the, some of the things there um, from that perspective, because Hudson County can have a drop. Like if a correction happens, since it's fairly valued, fairly valued markets can drop, especially in an undervalued state like this. So on relative basis, it's going to be a bigger move there. And so Hudson County, I think I was projecting like potentially a 10% drop can happen. If let's say the market reaches peak and then a 10% over, you know, like a couple of years or whatever. So it's not particularly dramatic. But the rest, uh, you know, the rest, I don't think so. And then Connecticut, similarly. So Connecticut, you know, heavily, heavily undervalued, you know, due to its um, in weak price performance there uh, from like job, uh, like job issues and uh, population outflow, etc. Uh, so that's the situation. Connecticut, Connecticut is 19% undervalued right now. And, you know, that's why there are people like buying in Stanford, like such a nice uh, city, right? Buying close to the river properties, like, you know, pretty, what seem to be decent prices at the current time. And um, that, uh, but is the price performance perspective going to be good there? Well, from a momentum standpoint, maybe no. So again, it's a risk. So you, one would invest in something undervalued, but price performance has not been, you know, has been weak in Connecticut. So, so that is a bit risky. And then in the rest, like New York State and Pennsylvania, they are a bit, uh, they're less undervalued. So there are a few counties there that are actually overvalued even. So especially in New York State, um, areas that rallied really much were besides New York City, like some of the areas towards Niagara Falls. So those, um, yeah, and I see I'm over time, um, but those, uh, some of them are slightly overvalued. And then quite a few counties are undervalued as well. Uh, Westchester is very undervalued, for instance, uh, etc. And um, in fact, uh, right, and Manhattan is actually currently fairly valued, by the way, has come due to price actually already performed weaker there. So Brooklyn and Queens, they exploded. They had like huge price performance after the previous peak and Manhattan didn't. So Manhattan is actually slightly below its previous peak. I believe seven percent, and then we have like Brooklyn is like close to forty percent above, etc. So the valuation in Manhattan somewhat got resolved, and it's uh, actually flat. And I think uh, Queens is slightly is uh, somewhat overvalued, um, like ten percent or so, and then Brooklyn is like six percent overvalued, like very mild. But for Brooklyn, Brooklyn with their income history that happened previously, I think it's nothing probably. So it's quite interesting. And then a lot of places in Pennsylvania, they're, uh, they're quite undervalued. They also didn't drop last crisis because they were also undervalued then, some of them. And price performance was decent in Pennsylvania. Then we have Pittsburgh that I already mentioned. Pittsburgh was actually the strongest performing uh, large city in the Northeast. 
um, in this cycle. So, um, and it's still undervalued, 8% undervalued. And then there are a lot of like in central Pennsylvania, if one invests right now, I think there's going to be zero drop. It's not possible to happen more because they're like 15% undervalued counties, etc. So yeah, so that those were like some of the some findings, you know, I have like more data like on population, etc. But it's already over time. And I think this um, hopefully should be uh, some good, um, good information. Yes, that was really good. Really, that's why I didn't say much. <laughs> Usually I talk a lot, but um, it's better to hear experts talk um, sometimes. So really good information. What I'm going to do is I will be posting this podcast. Um, you can find it on iTunes. You can find it on Spotify. Uh, we're going to post it to LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and I'm going to have a link to uh, Stefan's uh, presentation as well that he did. Um, he did a, a one on his personal YouTube uh, for, you know, if you guys want to see a visual, um, for those of you who are probably driving in the car, this is, you know, easier to follow. Um, but for those who want to see more of a visual, um, we'll have that uh, presentation as well. But I think we covered a good amount of information and um, we'd love to have you back on the show um, once we're probably, you know, 2021 um, to see it's, if all these predictions are correct. <laughs> um, yeah. and, uh, you know, and, and see if, if, if everything we're talking about, you know, is very similar to last time. Um, as you mentioned, this is very different than last time. And, um, you know, kind of a recap is to really, you know, look at the income levels. Um, and you make a great point of, you know, the Northeast being close to New York City, where income levels are higher, and people trying to move out of the city because of, you know, various, um, you know, COVID reasons and political reasons, etc. whatever reason it is, um, would most likely have still a relatively similar income and moving over to states like New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Connecticut, et cetera. So I can understand why, you know, it's still somewhat undervalued. Um, and in other areas uh, like the West, you know, I think you mentioned California surprised me. Um, and, you know, even um, Southeast, you know, Kentucky, um, you know, surprised me as well. Um, even what you just mentioned all the way out in Western Pennsylvania, Pittsburgh surprised me. Um, you know, I think you mentioned Idaho yeah. as well or Iowa, I can't remember which one. Very, very surprising uh, statistics. Idaho, yeah, yeah. Idaho, yeah. yeah. Idaho is actually the most, yeah, currently, it's the only really sharply overvalued place, I would say. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's been a very strong perform performer there, performing market, so. Very it's interesting. A little bit uh, overperformed, I would say so. Mm -hmm. Oh, great. Well, awesome. Well, we had a great show today. We'll wind it down here for our listeners. Like I said, I'll be posting that video so you'll be able to follow it in more detail in a visual format. And thanks again so much for coming on the show. Thanks, Anthony. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much. And yeah, if you needed any update in the future, uh, let me know. I am very happy to, to share my uh, findings. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Thank you.